0: We're going to look at John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4. We'll read the first 26 verses, and we're not going to get nearly that far, but uh, we're going to read them anyways. So John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which would be high noon. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, Well, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask, Drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said unto him, Sir... "'You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. "'From whence then hast thou this living water? "'Are you greater than our father Jacob, "'which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself "'and his children and his cattle?' "'And Jesus answered and said unto her, "'Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, "'but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him "'shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him "'shall be in him a well of water springing up "'into everlasting life.' And the woman said unto him, "'Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, "'neither come hither to draw.' "'And Jesus said unto her, "'Go, call thy husband, and come hither.' "'And the woman answered and said, "'Well, I have no husband.' "'And Jesus said unto her, "'You have well said, I have no husband, "'for you have had five husbands, "'and he whom you now have is not thy husband, "'and that saidest thou truly.' "'And the woman said unto him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet.' So answer this. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said unto him, "Well, I know that the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, and when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, "I that speak unto thee am He." And that's the only place where he openly admits who he is, interestingly enough. He tells us in 1 Peter 2 that we have a calling. He says, we have been called that the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in 1 Peter 2, has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. And the word there, example, is a word that is used to describe how children back in those days learned how to draw or how to write. They would have a pattern and they would trace the letters and they would follow the pattern and that's how they learned to form the letters. Peter said that Jesus has left us a pattern. Just like they would follow those letters, we're to follow his life. The way he lived on earth, we're to follow in his steps. So he lived and walked each day in a certain way. What we're told there in Peter is, if we're Christians, we're to walk in the same way that he did, or the pattern that he committed to us, that he entrusted to us. So in other words, put it this way, his purpose should be our purpose shouldn't it and his example should be our way of life in light of what we're looking at today in John chapter 4 in the New Testament in more than one place it says this for the Son of Man is come to do what to seek and to save that which is lost Jesus didn't wait for sinners to come to him did he he was on what I would call a seek and destroy mission because he was seeking out sinners to save them. And he, in doing that, was going to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that what it tells us in 1 John? We find this all through the Gospels, but he was a physician that made house calls. Now, that's not common today, from what I understand. I don't think that's too common. We have, in the beginning of the Gospels, he's seeking Levi, the publican. And he seeks him out, and he says, follow me. And Levi was so excited about that that he's like, I'm going to make a great feast. And I'm going to invite all the dregs of society, all my friends, the publicans and the sinners. They're going to be the ones that I'm going to have at this feast. And Jesus is going to be the chief guest there. And it says the scribes and the Pharisees see who he's invited. And they criticized him. Why do you eat and drink with this scum? That's the way they looked at these people. His purpose should be our purpose. And he said, He told them basically, this is why I came. This is my purpose for being here on this earth, taking on flesh. He's told them, he said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And he said, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to do what? This was his purpose. I came to call sinners to repentance. That was his mission. And to provide a way for them to have eternal life. Think about this. We start off saying his life is the pattern that we're to follow. When you look at his life, when you read the Gospels, he would have told those disciples and anyone that he didn't come here to enjoy life, to have a good time, acquire all I can, or to be the best at Hebrew Scrabble. And he could have been. He said his purpose was to do what again? Call sinners to repentance. And I'm saying, if you got Hebrew scrabble, that's great. Just call me over, I'll play. But that wasn't his main purpose in life. That brings us to a question this morning, a vital question. What is of supreme importance in our lives, and what does the New Testament present? Because we have to ask ourselves that, because one day, the day we stand before the Lord, he is going to ask us, what were your priorities? Were your priorities... My priorities. So, listen, I think you can get on a one track thing where everything's evangelism. I've seen that happen. And I've even kind of been that way in my own life. You can go overboard on that because that's not the only thing the Bible says we're responsible to do as Christians, is it? We're responsible to pray for ourselves and to pray for one another. We're responsible to hear the word, whether it's preached, to be here, to hear it preached. And then, not only that, but more importantly, to hear it preached, and then to do it. Doers are the words, not just hearers only. And to, to grow in grace, that's part of the Christian life. I'm saying some people want to make everything, missions, evangelism. I'm saying it's more than that. But, you know, we're to grow in grace through the trials God gives us to go through. And we glorify Him through that. That's our main purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Westminster Catechism, And on and on. Those are all very important things. But I'm saying we cannot neglect. We've tended it at our church. I don't think it's what it used to be, but we've tended to neglect our responsibility to do what Jesus did to seek and to save the lost. That is every Christian's obligation. That's not just for these guys that are zealous and that they want to go out in the streets or they want to do missions. And it's just a few people in church. That is every Christian's responsibility And we'll see that today. I mean, that is without exception. That is a mentality. It's like a lifestyle. And it was Jesus's mindset. His pattern is our pattern. His mindset then should be our mindset. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So we're in John 4. Look what it says there in verses 34 to 38. Jesus said unto them, my meat, my food. You know, And here's the thing. The disciples, they are all worried about food. That was their number one priority, wasn't it? And he's saying, wait a minute. There's a better priority than that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And that's basically what he's saying here, verse 34. He's to them, my meat, my food, I'm not worried about what you guys are, is to do what? Do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And what is that? Look what he says. He says, say not ye. And he gives them here a farming parable that was popular at the time. There are yet four months And then comes the harvest. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you how that applies spiritually. He says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Why? For they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor and other men labored and you are entered into their labors. He's telling them, look up your eyes on the fields. They're ready to harvest. It's just right there waiting for you. But if you're not intentional, guess what? It'll never happen. That's the way it works. And that's the mission of the church, isn't it? To seek and save the lost. That is the supreme purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So turn over to Acts chapter 1. We'll look there in Acts chapter 1. Read a little bit here in Acts. We look in Acts chapter 1 and beginning in verse 3. It says, To whom also He, Jesus, showed Himself alive after His passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them, That they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. That's the promise. He told them to wait for it. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but... Verse eight: You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and what you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know the disciples; they are all worried about the coming kingdom, and when is Israel going to be restored? And Jesus says, "Would you just quit worrying about that?" Your concern should be to pray for the Holy Spirit so that you can continue on what my mission and purpose is. And that is to preach effectively with the power of the Holy Spirit on you, because otherwise it's not going to happen. He's saying it's so important, you need to wait until that happens. He's not sending them out until that happens. But he's saying that is the main purpose for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he didn't tell them, he wants them to wait to receive the promise of the Father so they could speak in tongues. Though they did, didn't they? That is the evidence, clearly, I would say, in the New Testament. I want you to receive the Holy Spirit so you could enjoy anointed worship. Even though they did, I guarantee you they had anointed worship, and we've had them here. And that's a result of having the Holy Spirit, because I have been in unbaptized with the Holy Spirit churches and like zero anointing. I mean, zero, dead as could be. He didn't also say, well, I want you to have good fellowship, and that is a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a spirit-filled church. It should be. And they had all of those things. But what did he say to them? What was the purpose that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem? And it's basically, that's the book of Acts. That's how it plays out. It began in Jerusalem, spread to Judea, Sumeria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the outline of the book of Acts. Right there, he gives it. But all of that is they're spreading the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're doing it because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, what happened? Let's just read a few verses there. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all those which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And look, we'll skip down to verse 11. It says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues. And what is it that they're proclaiming? The wonderful works of God. And all those that were there were amazed and were in doubt, saying, what meaneth this? And others mocked, saying, these men are full of new wine. They have become witnesses to all the nations right there through this power that has come on them. And what we have after that is that anointing that was on Peter. He preaches a sermon, and what happens? 3,000 people are converted through that power that is in him. He couldn't have done that before. Before he had that anointing, what was he doing? He was denying the Lord. He's a changed person, and with the Holy Spirit, he is a totally changed person, isn't he? He was saved before that, but he wasn't doing this. Nobody was. It's not a matter of we don't need outreaches. You know, we don't need to get everybody all busy with outreaches. To me, my thing has been, you all want to know what my position is on all this? I have no problem with outreaches. I'll promote that until the cows come home. But outreaches without a spirit-filled anointing, you're spinning your wheels. But you seek and pray. Now, this can be as a church which I would highly like to see happen, or it can be on an individual basis because I've experienced that. Like I've said before, you can't wait for everybody else here to get on board with, we're going to seek God for an anointing to go out and witness and see Him work through you. Do you need to wait for everybody else? That'd be nice if we were all with one accord like what you see here. But hey, if God's put that on your heart, young person, anybody that's saved, I don't care who you are, you'll start experiencing these things happening in your life what we're reading in John 4, what we read in the book of Acts. God working through you, the purpose of being Spirit-filled. The purpose of being Spirit-filled is not to keep it contained in this room. Things should happen in this room. We should have gifts move. We need to have gifts move. When it happens here, it just should be that overflow. That's what I see happening here in the book of Acts. It's overflowing through them, like Jesus said. Water springing up in John 7, flowing out of us. And that's what the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. When you have the power of God in you manifested because you're seeking Him, your priorities are right, you will see results. It could come to a group, or like we see today in John 4. Who does Jesus, He's anointed if there's anybody anointed. But who does God send Him to? Does He send Him to a whole group? It starts off with one woman, one lone person, and everybody wants to have these big ministries that make the headlines. That's not the way God always works. We'll see that. He may send you somewhere that you would choose not to go to find that one person, and that one person is going to have an impact you would never know about. That's the way it works. I think part of the witness when he says, you shall be witnesses, and I do, let me just add this parenthetically. A part of the witness of the early church was... And this all comes from having the Holy Spirit love for each other. They shared their goods and they were all of one accord in one mind because Jesus says, this is how the world is going to know you're my disciples. When you have love one for another, people see that and they do notice that. And I think that is part of the witness. But I'll tell you what happened when the early church, when they got too comfortable in Jerusalem, fellowshipping in their little house churches, God did something about that. You know what he did? He sent persecution. Maybe that's what we need is a good dose of persecution. It might help. And it's probably coming sometime soon. Let's see where that happened. Look over in Acts chapter 8. First four verses. And it says, And Saul, consenting unto his death, Stephen's death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him and as for Saul he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women and committed them to prison but look what it says in verse 4 therefore they that were scattered abroad now this is everybody in the church it said but the apostles what did they do it says they went everywhere doing what preaching the word so the entire church was scattered like buckshot it's like god put the church in a salt off shotgun and spread them out over the region the great commission is going to be fulfilled one way or another he's going to get his people out there to fulfill it and that's what he did that's what it says there in verse four they went everywhere preaching the word now that doesn't mean that the church okay that these people went out and they found a hill and they found, got a great crowd underneath them, and they're preaching off a hill. That's not what happened when it says they went everywhere preaching the word. This is mentioned, this scattering. We won't turn to it. It's mentioned again in Acts eleven nineteen. 19, okay? And it says there, it t- said they went everywhere, names all the areas they went to, said they preached to the Jews only. Uses the same word preached in English, but it is not the same word in Greek. The word that is used there that describes further what the saints did that were scattered is a Greek word, laleo. Laleo is when you talk. That's what it really means, just talking or speaking, having conversation. That's what these people did. As they were scattered around, were meeting people in these different areas. I'm sure some of them were preaching maybe open air. But most part, this church, if they're staying in somebody's house, they meet somewhere, have to get a job or whatever, they're speaking the word, they're having conversation. The word means to gossip the word. And that's what they were doing. So they had been sitting in Jerusalem, I don't know exactly how long, and what was the main pillars of the church, the four pillars, Acts 2.42? The number one pillar was the apostles' doctrine or teaching. These people had been hearing that. They understood the basics of salvation, which we should. So when they go out and God scatters them abroad, they can give a saving knowledge to somebody. They can sit there and preach the gospel in a way to where it's like, I don't know what to say. I just, I don't know how to talk to anybody about, no, these people knew and that's what they were doing. And that's how God started churches in these different areas. That's how people came to know him because people like us learned what they should have learned so that they could go out and share eternal life because that's more than just saying oh god blessed me or he did this or he kept me from a car wreck i mean all that's fine that's not the gospel though we've talked about this before we should be able at this point most people in here should be able to articulate the gospel but they're having conversation about the scriptures that's what they're doing and That's what we should be doing, just like them. They're scattered abroad. They didn't just get scattered abroad and settled and keep their mouths shut. No. Every opportunity they had, they shared. And that's what we should do. And that's a mindset. I'm telling you, it's a mindset. But it began with what? I'm back to this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And God's blessing what they're doing. His hand is on them. And there's a big difference between trying to read some book and figure out, man, what, am I, what is it I'm supposed to say to this guy? I can't remember. And when God's anointing is on you, y'all should know this, you just know what to say. Or God brings something to your mind, or he brings whatever, just what this person needs. And sometimes he'll give you a word of knowledge, you don't even know it. You're reading their mail, and have you had that happen? Person's like, wow, you've been hanging around? No, I haven't, but I'm just talking, and the Lord gives me something to say to you, and that's the way it should work. And if we do that, being filled with the Spirit, you know, that is not just a one-time event, is it? Because what does it say, Ephesians 5.18? Paul writes to the Ephesians, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. And you know, this is another parenthesis. Why is drinking all of a sudden become popular and okay amongst Christians? I don't quite get that. So talk to my brother about that if you think that's all right, because he started off just a little wine at dinner and then he's off on the deep end. And God had to bring him back. You're playing with fire. And what's the point? I mean, you know, you really need your glass of wine that bad. I'm not saying it's a sin if you drink a glass of wine. The Bible doesn't say that. But I don't understand here in a country where we've got an alcohol problem and you got young people that see an adult drinking wine and then they think that's okay and maybe they start off with that and i've seen this happen in churches like ours starts off with wine coolers and next thing you know the kid's an alcoholic that was all free anyways paul wrote be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but here's what he said you ought to be filled with not your glass of wine nightly wine but be filled he says with the spirit Be filled with the Spirit. And how do you get filled with the Spirit? That involves praying in tongues, singing in your heart, communing with the Lord. That's what keeps you in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. God deals with me with all this, and I get to preach it to you, you know? (laughs) I'm just thinking, it just started off with me in a verse. Okay, I'm Spirit-filled, and He says, you shall receive power. Okay, I'm thinking to myself, how is that manifesting in your life at this point? Now I go into prison, I'm dealing with a lot of spirits in there when I go in there. Just in general, the times of my life when I've seen God move in ways where it's affecting people, things are happening, that's because you got to get back to your first love. We can always hear that message, can't we? Making Jesus our life again, like he was a few years ago for some people. You do that, God will bless you for it in a whole lot of ways. But the first thing, and it's going to end up being the only thing I want to look at this morning, is this. And this first point I want to make, if you go back to John 4, is this. That God will guide us to the ones that He wants us to share with by His Holy Spirit. He'll guide us by the Holy Spirit to the ones He wants us to share with. And you just see that in the first four verses, but particularly verse 4. And actually, we'll just read verses 3 and 4. It says that He left Judea. He was down in Judea. And the Pharisees probably weren't real happy with him. And it says he departed again into Galilee. And verse 4 is what I want to hone in on. And it says there that he must needs go through Samaria. And so the question I would like to ask is, why must Jesus pass through Samaria? Because that Greek word, therefore, in the King James, it's must needs means it was necessary When he says you must be born again, it's the same word must. It's this word for ought. Let me ask you, was it necessary that he go through Samaria because there wasn't any other way to go? Just to give a little background here, most Jews wouldn't have taken the route Jesus was taking. When you're down in Judea and in Jerusalem, it is the most direct route to get up to Galilee to go straight up through and take you straight up through Samaria. But most Jews wouldn't go that way because they considered The Samaritans to be defiled or defiling. And why was that? Because, just to give you a little background of the Old Testament, when the Assyrians conquered northern Israel, you know you had the division. Jerusalem and and Judea and then you had the the, uh, northern tribes, the ten northern tribes. When they conquered northern Israel in 722 B.C., what they did is they took the Jews out of there, deported them out, and they brought in all these heathens. And with the heathens came their heathen gods. What they did is they combined their heathen gods with the worship of Yahweh. And what you have is a mixed up mess. They like to call it a mongrel. You know what a mongrel dog is? Well, they had a mongrel religion up there in Samaria. So when those Jews came back from Babylon, they had nothing in common with those people up north in Samaria, religiously or politically and the Samaritans actually opposed Nehemiah in building the walls. And he's like, we don't want your help. We don't. And it was, just became a bitter hatred from there on out between the two groups. And the Jews just regarded the Samaritans as half-breeds and unclean. By the time we get around to Jesus, there was just this deep-seated hatred between the two peoples. And the Jews and the Samaritans, as we read, had no dealings with each other. Look what it says in verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Look what it says at the end. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, to say they had no dealings, the disciples had just gone to buy food from Samaritans. What they wouldn't do, they would not drink. He's asking her for a drink. They would never drink out of the same drinking vessel that a Samaritan's had. That was unclean. That's what she's saying. No dealings. They wouldn't have that kind of contact with them. The point is, most of the Jews were saying, why does it say he must go up there? They would have bypassed Samaria. They would have crossed the Jordan River twice, crossed the Jordan River, walked up the Jordan River Valley, and then cut across again across the Jordan River to get into Galilee, quite a few miles out of their way. So it wasn't necessary for him to go through Samaria because it was the only way to go. The way he went was actually the uncommon way. Some of these commentaries will say, well, it says he must go through Samaria because he was in some big hurry to get up to Galilee. So he took that direct route. Well, I would just say, look in verse 40. Look what it says. When the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Well, I mean, if he's that big a hurry, what's he doing hanging around there two days teaching him? That isn't what it is. And I believe, as simple as this, that he was urged to go up into Samaria by the Holy Spirit. Constrained by the Holy Spirit to go up there. The Greek says he had to. It was necessary. It's because Jesus was all about doing the Father's will, wasn't he? We know that. That's what it says. Chapter four, look what it says there in verse 32 again. he says, but I say unto them, I have meat or food to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, is it somebody brought him food we didn't know about? And he said it them, verse 34, My food is what? To do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He's saying that's what I am all about. We've heard this before, haven't we? Jesus only went and spoke and did what the Father showed him to do. When it said he had to go up that way, there was a purpose to it. And just so you can see that, all you got to do is turn over one chapter and look in chapter 5, verses 16 to 20. Chapter 5, 16 to 20, and it says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. And Jesus answered them and said, My father works hitherto, and I work. And therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And then answered Jesus and said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. He's saying all that he did every day, every minute of his life was only what the Father had shown him. That is the way we should live. Nobody lives like that that I know. Well, he did. So we're back to the very first thing I said. We're to walk in his steps. He set a pattern for us to follow. Amen. Amen. So I think we ought to be praying for God to guide us. He had to go through Samaria because his father had set up a divine appointment for him to meet and save this woman and through her, all the inhabitants of the city she was from, Sychar. He had to go that way. God had a mission he was sending him on. Let me ask you, do you believe the Holy Spirit that lives in you could direct you that way? You think he would? You think he could? You have to. You know why? Because we got examples of that in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there, but just think in Acts chapter 8, Philip. He's having a great revival right here in Samaria. This is after Jesus is risen. Jesus, I believe, laid the groundwork for what happened later on. Right in the midst of this great revival he's having, an angel speaks to him, an angel from God, and tells him this is all the more direction Philip gets. I want you to start walking down that road towards Gaza. He's out in the desert walking on a road, and Philip just starts walking. And somehow along the way, he comes up to that chariot. That the Ethiopian eunuch is in. He sees that chariot. And what happens then? What happens? It says the Spirit spoke to him and told him to go join himself to the chariot. Now, how did the Spirit speak to him? How did that work? Do you know? Well, he did. And he knew it was his Lord speaking to him, right? And he obeyed. And when he gets there, guess what? God was already at work, wasn't he? He was preparing that eunuch's heart. That eunuch was doing what? He's reading where? Isaiah 53. I'm getting back to my point. What's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He's got the Spirit inside him. The Holy Spirit is inside of him and speaks to him and directs him, just like I believe is happening with Jesus. And he gets there, and God is another divine appointment. And think about it. He's sending him from this great revival to this road. And here he is to one person, this eunuch. And God's at work on both ends, isn't he? This guy's reading in Isaiah 53. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody explains? And Philip's like, well, I'm glad to do it because I've been sitting under the apostles doctrine. I know exactly what to tell you. And he did. He began there and went through and preached Jesus to him. Could you do that? We should be able to. But that's what it said. So he directed him and had him on that desolate road. That is how God works. Jesus goes to that well at noon. How many people were at that well at high noon? None. Who does he meet there? He just meets that woman. But God had set him there just to meet her. arrange a divine encounter. So that's the way it works. You know why he has him go to this eunuch? Because what we're getting way back to Acts 1 that we read earlier. What did he say? You'll be filled with power and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's got to happen, doesn't it? Well, this eunuch, you know where Ethiopia was? That at that time in the world, that was the uttermost parts of the earth. That was as distant as you could get away from Jerusalem. Clear down in where modern Sudan is. Clear down in Africa. God is sending this eunuch down there. He's got the gospel now to share the good news down there. Because it's going to get spread everywhere, and this is how it works. But it all started clear back when? In Acts 1, with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We're going to get back to that every time. I could give more, but what about Acts 10? It's another example of God's leading. Peter he's waiting for lunch but he didn't get on his phone and check out espn.com did he no he says well i think i'm going to make good use of my time and i'm going to go up on the roof and pray and as he's praying he has a vision doesn't he we all know that the big sheet comes down filled with all these unclean animals three times it comes down rise peter kill and eat oh no, lord i've never eaten anything unclean hey if i'm telling you it's not unclean It's clean. Don't you call it unclean, Peter. And Peter is just scratching his head, it says, and he's thinking about that. Thinking about that is what it says. And while he's thinking about it, it said the Bible says this, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit again said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. The Holy Spirit said to him, For I have sent thee, is what he said. The Holy Spirit can direct us where to go. He urged Peter where to go. And God's working at both ends of this whole story, isn't he? Working at both ends in this evangelistic encounter. And how's he doing it? Is he doing it because they're sitting around doing nothing, small talk? It's all through prayer, isn't it? Because you got Cornelius up north in Caesarea, and what he was fasting and praying and an angel of God appeared to him and says, I want you to send these men down to Peter and he's going to tell you, show you what to do. That's just like what happens in all these Muslim countries now. You know, the angel will appear to them and say, this person is going to come and tell you about Jesus. So a gospel is proclaimed through people because that's the way God has ordained it. Through the preaching of the gospel it's going to happen. But he's working on both ends. Peter's praying on his housetop, and the Spirit speaks to him. Cornelius is praying, and it all works out, doesn't it? God is directing, sovereignly directing through the Holy Spirit. Like we said, the purpose was to give the disciples power to be witnesses. And it's all through the book of Acts, isn't it? Acts 13, what happens? It says that Paul and Barnabas and the teachers and prophets at Antioch Spirit-filled men, they get together. It says they fast and they pray. And as they're doing that, it's all about the purposes to preach the gospel. What happens? They pray and fast, and it says then the Spirit spoke. Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for what? To go preach the gospel. Isn't that what happened? And they did, and they went on that first missionary journey. And he's directing in other ways. In Acts 16, Paul's wanting to go to Asia. The Spirit says, no, uh uh-uh, I don't want you going that way. And in the meantime, he has a vision. The Lord gives him a vision of Macedonia, a man in Macedonia. Please come and help me. So God's directing all of this, but directing it towards what? The gospel is preached and people are saved. That's what you're going to see when you read the book of Acts. Is that our life? Is that how we look at our purpose for being spirit-filled? Because You read the book of Acts. Now, we say we believe the Bible here, but do we really? Or are we just saying wanting to believe what is convenient for us and we don't want to get out of our comfort zone? You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone, I believe, if you really want to do what the Bible says. Jesus sets us the pattern here in John 4. The Spirit constrains him. You've got to go up through Samaria. And we just see that acted out in the book of Acts. The Spirit's leading, directing, constraining these men. This is where I want you to go. This is how I move it. He's working through people, Spirit-filled people. And why would the Lord not direct us the same way today? Why wouldn't He do the same things with us today? We have the same Holy Spirit that they had, I hope. Same Holy Spirit that they had in the book of Acts, amen? No difference. I think if we would seek the Lord in prayer and be willing to do whatever he asks us to do, no matter what the cost, I think he would direct our steps. I know he would direct our steps to people, that he's prepared, just like the eunuch. You wouldn't know it, if you're not letting yourself be directed, if you're not gonna be bold in your witness, if you're not gonna seek the lost like Jesus did. He initiated that conversation with her, didn't she? She's like, are you a Jew, you're talking to me? Yeah, he says, I'm talking to you, sister. And she got saved. Like I said, the question, though, is, are we really that serious about our Christianity? Is the purpose for us as a church here receiving the Holy Spirit any different than it would have been for the church in the book of Acts? Should be the exact same purpose, isn't it? You know, the Apostle Paul, you want to talk about doctrine and smart and deep in the word. He was the man. But you know what else he was? He was an evangelist through and through. He shared the gospel wherever he was at. <laughs> he did. If he was in the marketplace in Athens, read Acts 17, he's walking around there doing what they did, the ones that were scattered. He's just gossiping. He's just talking to people about Christianity to where they drag him up on the We want to hear you preach about this in front of the big crowd. But it started off, he's just in the marketplace, the Agora. It's where everybody hangs out. He started off there, and then he's preaching to Whenever whoever he's chained to, because he did a lot of prison time, he's getting a lot of guards saved. That's what he did. And he went from guards in prison being chained to people at the marketplace up to the kings, Felix, Agrippa, and Festus. Festus and Marshall Dillon if he'd have been around, right? But he was witnessing to those guys. Because why? Because Paul got the message just like all the early saints did and the apostles and the people in the church Jesus' mission, he said, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. And that's the way they lived, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus gave Paul the same mission he had. And so if you would, turn to Acts 26, beginning in verse 14. And Paul's sharing his testimony with everybody. He didn't care. He wasn't embarrassed. we'll start in verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose." to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. And look what he says in verse 17, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Verse 18, to open their eyes. Here's the purpose. And to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. that, That Here's the reason that they may receive forgiveness of sins an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should do what? Repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. That's the message, isn't it? We need to have a message of repent and turn to God. That's the message Paul had. You think, well, that was just Paul. That's just the Apostle Paul. You realize Paul was just sent forth like Jesus was as a pattern. We're not off the hook because that was said to Paul. What was said to Paul was said to us. Because if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, we'll look at two places in 1 Corinthians. Paul told them, what I'm doing, you need to be doing. He was sent to preach the gospel and preach repentance, and so are we. 1 Corinthians 4 1 Corinthians 4, verses 15 and 16, look what he says. Paul says this, he says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. What does he say in verse 16? Wherefore I beg of you, do what? Be followers of me. Do what I do. And then look over in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians the end of chapter 10 going into chapter 11 and he's talking about sharing the gospel here at the end of chapter 10 he says chapter 10 verse 33 the first corinthians paul says even as i please all men and all things not seeking my own profit but paul says i live my life to seek the profit of many why why does he do that that they might be what Saved And and so there's not chapter divisions in the New Testament. This is put in by men. He goes on right after that to say what? Chapter 11, verse 1, followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He's saying that's what I do. I do whatever I have to to seek the salvation of men. And he says, therefore, be ye followers of me, because I'm just doing what Jesus did. And he says the same thing in Philippians follow my example. And there's other places. We just looked at those too because I didn't want to be flipping around the Bible all afternoon. <laughs> we you all out. But we could go on and on, but isn't that what he's saying? So we're to live the life that Jesus set as an example, Paul set as an example. I know I'm really harping on this one big point, but I think I need to, I guess. But can you clearly see that we have a biblical mandate, everyone in here, to share the gospel? Not just about how God has blessed us, but bring people to a place where they see the need of forgiveness. Why? Because a judgment day is coming. It is. And we need to warn them to flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the wrath to come and flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is every person on earth's greatest need. It is the greatest need. Because I'm telling you, people are not hearing today about judgment day hell god's wrath they're not hearing that in churches or anywhere should i say most churches because i know this for a fact i went to a place to where you share your testimony and i shared my testimony about the fear of god and hell and judgment and how god dealt with me and all that. and they thought that was funny i would hear remarks made talking about hellfire and brimstone preaching kind of being laughed at and snickered at But I'll tell you what, what about the rich man in Luke 16 who neglected Lazarus? It says about him that he died, and when he died, it says what? It says he opened up his eyes in torments. Now, I think he thought hellfire and brimstone would have been a good message because he's saying, Abraham, can you please, if Lazarus can't dip his finger to cool my tongue, can you at least do this for me? Can you send him back to my brother's? That he can testify, witness about this place. Because I don't want him coming here. This is terrible. I think he thought it was important. I don't think he would have been laughing at it. Now, if that's all you hear, that's going to get you lopsided in the wrong way. But to say you never need to hear it? And what did he tell him? He says, wait, you know, even though one rose from the dead, that's not going to convince them. They've got the prophets. They've got Moses and the law. Let them read that. But it's the word. That word needs to be proclaimed. Let's pray that God will send people our way, that He has prepared their hearts to receive the gospel. Amen. That's what we need to do. And it's not always going to be evident, is it? It won't be. This woman at the well, we'll look at this more, but she's almost getting a little smart with the Lord. She's coming there to get water. She didn't know her need, but Jesus made her thirsty, didn't He? And we can pray that God will send us the thirsty. Amen. And we'll stop there today. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word that you have given us. I ask, Father, you'll put it on our hearts that not just because it's a duty, not because we feel like we need to secure our salvation by going out and witnessing, Lord, but because we want to for your glory and the sake of these lost people, Lord. I just ask you'll put it on our hearts that we'll become people that pray, every day and ask you to show us the opportunities that are there that we can hear your voice speak to us and where to go what to say what to do and it will become more sensitive to your holy spirit and that we can not just see it in the pages of the book of acts but see it lived in the pages of our own lives and i ask you that you'll do that for all of us here and i pray that in jesus name Amen.